0: What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. Oh, ho, ho, baby! What is up? Buffalo Fanatics. Z Bot here with you. Live on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel on a Monday night. And that can only mean one thing. It is the smoke break. Good to have you in on this Monday night. I got the game on over here. How about these Florida freaking Panthers? They're going to win the whole damn thing. Good time to be a Miami sports fan, I suppose, outside of being a Dolphins fan. You got the Dolphins or you got the uh, you got the heat. They're probably going to win the whole thing the way they're playing. You got the Panthers. One game from not even making the playoffs, they're going to win the whole thing, it looks like. Must be nice. When it rains, it pours. We need to get a little bit of rain out in Buffalo one of these years. So, got a fun one tonight. And uh, I've been looking forward to sharing uh, this list with you because um, when we do this consensus list, that I'll get into in a second, your full ballot doesn't make it out because it winds up getting, it gets characterized down into one long list. So, you know, whatever you had in whatever order, doesn't necessarily wind up being the case. Actually this year when we did it, it was a bit different than it even was. It was even more different than it was last year, as far as the variables between who had chosen what and, um, and what have you. So, I don't even know. I I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I'm burying the lead here. I feel like a little bit, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm getting at as far as just coming out and saying, talking about this list is if I haven't even given you, I haven't done the due diligence of laying down the map as to what I'm even talking about. I'll get there in a second, all over the place, by the way, apologies for not being in last week, brutal week, last week, just brutal And unfortunately, the smoke break, uh, it kind of fell in the crosshairs of just an awful week. But we're back here this week as we round out May. June right around the corner. And I'm telling you what, man, it just it just lately, as you watch the NBA and the NHL season kind of dwindle, come to its end here. It's really starting to pick up as far as like, all right, we're getting close. We're getting close. Um, so this past weekend, good weekend. Dave Matthews band new album came out. And if you know me, that's like Christmas. That's like Christmas for me. That's like the Super Bowl of music. That's kind of like the opening day for the Bills, which is like the best day of the year for me. First Dave album, new one in like five years. So figured I'd show you because I figured I'd show you how, how absolutely insane I am when it comes to this stuff, right? So they, they, they got this, they do this gimmick now where they, and I love to collect shit, as you can see. Just, I've, I've always have. So they, they got this gimmick now where they'll they'll make a bunch of, of the album on vinyl, but they'll do like different exclusive vinyls. Just wanted to show you how much of a dumbass I am. I went and bought every single one that they have. So you got like, Let's see, Let's you like this one you have uh this one's white, right? And then like this one, pure black. And then they and then they'll like designate it to like the most random stores too. Like Barnes and Noble. They had an exclusive one. Target's got this like all red one. I mean, it's absolutely genius because you get dumbasses like me who will go and buy every single one of them, probably never even open it. Like like this one is or not that one? Where is it? This one's just pure white. Like it's just insane. And I'm so thankful sometimes that like the bill, like the bills, don't do stuff like this because Dave's got. As far as like the collecting is concerned, as far as like the collectibles are concerned, I will buy anything. I, I I will get suckered into literally anything. And it's nice that with the bills, or there really isn't a whole lot you get suckered in on. There's not a whole lot of like merch and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, there's the jerseys and like every year you get the, uh, whatever, the, the draft hat or whatever. But it's like in the NBA and like in the MLB and stuff like that, they'll do all these different jerseys. Like if they did that, I know half of us would be broke. We would all buy that. Like if they did like a, like a retro jersey, uh, once a month, like a city type jersey, like the NBA does, would be broke. So there's part of me that's almost like happy at the lack of, Stuff that comes out for the Bills, because I know firsthand what I'm like when it comes to today Matthews. So when it comes to the Bills, like it's nice to have a bit of a breather as far as just nonstop putting stuff in your face. Because you know the tickets, the tickets themselves are pricey enough. Um, and if they put it out, I'll buy it. I mean, I got a Josh Allen. What do I? I'm, I got three boxes of cereal back here, just sitting there. All right, so this is what's on tap tonight. So if you if you didn't know based on what the concept is tonight, so last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago now. I can't. I, I swear, like I said, last week was just brutal, but I'm pretty sure it was last week. We, um, uh, by we, I mean me and a few other Bills content creators, uh, we joined Joe Marino of Locked On Bills, and if you don't know Joe by now, I'm sure most of you do, but if you don't. Uh, one of the best in the business, just one of the smartest, most knowledgeable Bills fans out there. And he puts it all out on display for everybody to uh, consume on a daily basis over at Locked On Bills. Check him out if you, if you haven't before. Uh, a must listen. Um, and so one of the shows that he's been doing now, it's almost becoming an annual tradition, which is awesome. This is my second year doing it. One of the shows he does this time of year, like right after the draft. Um, he will do a list with a bunch of guys, uh, including myself. And there was uh I'm trying to think how many of us were there. I think there might have been ten of us, like me, Bruce Nolan, Greg Thompson, Cover One, uh, Nate Geary from GR, um, handful of other guys. I think uh, Perino was on there. Matt Perino was on there, and uh, Ryan Talbot. So there was like ten of us, I think. And we all, uh, you know, we all meet up on virtually, I guess. And then we hear from Joe and and he says, okay, so we're going to, we're going to go through the entire roster and we're going to pinpoint in order based on what you think your order would be the top 10 players on the bills that are most important for the franchise and its future. Now, this is a tough thing to do because a lot of times when you're thinking about the top 10 players, you're just talking about straight up talent, what they're delivering on a weekly basis. The mark of demarcation on this one is is that you can't just include everybody because you have to keep in mind that the future entails so much more than what goes on currently in the present based on the roster you have today. So you have to combine not only the skill set that you have in front of you currently, but what you think that skill set might develop into if they're a younger player or if that skill set is going to be able to be maintained for the foreseeable future. And because of that, that's why that particular player is so important going forward. So that's what makes this really tough. And I know for me personally, there are several players that I left off the list that it just feels almost criminal leaving off a, a top 10 bills list of any stature The only reason they're not on that list is because when I think about the future, and this is what I talk about on here a lot about these windows opening and closing. When I talk about the future and then I kind of narrow down the players that I think will be most impactful towards the future of these bills, it really, it's, it's an unfortunate reality check that I think I've run into multiple times over the last year or so, as far as looking down the way here for these bills, this was one of those reality checks where you're leaving guys off and you're just like, man, like that, that's just an absolute bummer. I can't have this particular guy on this list because the odds of him being around long enough to impact this future is slim to none. And for that reason, I have to find someone else to plug in. So back to the the whole uh the whole nature of it. It's over on Joe's uh YouTube right now, his locked on build. It's also on his podcast channel and stuff. So after this is over, definitely go and give that a listen. What we do is we all submit our ballots. All 10 of us, I believe it was, submit our ballots to Joe. And then he condenses it down into a consensus top 10 based on where each of us had ranked a particular player. Um, So, you know, some guys, I I think think Josh Allen was number one on everybody's. That's a given. But then basically from there, it was a complete – it's very interesting to see the different thoughts from everybody. And that's why something like this is so cool because – You know, typically you have the same guys, some, some were different, which is also interesting, but it's also beyond knowing the majority of the guys that'll be on there. The interesting part is looking at somebody's opinion on this, on what they think that particular player's importance is because there were guys that were way farther up on the list than I had. Personally, I had guys that were way farther back on the list than other others had up towards the top. Um, but that's the beauty of doing this is because you're able to kind of get a read on not only what you think going forward these bills will have at their disposal in order to you know be impactful. But you also get a read on what everybody else thinks as well and kind of where they view these bills being down the line based on what they currently have and what they could potentially have in certain players if they hit their ceiling or if they continue to improve, whatever. Um, so that list came out, and mine varied, I would say my list that I submitted, and then comparing that to the consensus list, it varied pretty dramatically. Um, and there were some players that you know, I think I was one of the only player, uh, only people, for instance, to have uh, Osiris Torrance on my list but I was also one of the only people to not have Von Miller on my list. And that's kind of back to the point I was just talking about where it just feels so weird. But what I wanted to do tonight is kind of branch off of that project that uh, I participated with uh, Joe Marino and the guys on, um, because I love the idea and the concept. You kind of, you really get a good look at what you See this team being, and you also get a really good look at what you're going to potentially be without not too far from now, and then how you feel guys currently in the mix trying to work their way up the ladder will be able to fill that gap to some extent. Um, the guy that I we all personally were given a player to, um, to summarize, based off, off the consensus, mine was Tradavius White. So yeah, if you go over and watch that, um, if you go over and watch the video on Joe on Joe's uh, YouTube after this, that's the guy that I broke down. But everybody, after we do the consensus list, everybody submits a video where they explain one of the players, um, which is awesome. So the whole thing's great, and I wanted to follow up on that tonight by giving my personal top 10 consensus list that I had submitted. And then kind of going through each individual ranking. And from there, just kind of giving a little bit of an explanation as to why that person or that player rather is in that particular spot. And then also give my reasoning kind of behind why other players that most would feel would be on a top 10 list for the bills. Uh, did not make it on, um, and then the unfortunate thing too. I'm I'm pulling it up right now. The uh, the consensus list uh, where all the players are listed because the unfortunate thing is a lot of guys, and I'm sure you're probably understanding. You'll under you'll know, immediately understand why when I when I get into it. But it, it's one of those unfortunate realities once again where you um, you and everybody else are completely under the impression that you know the time is borrowed on a lot of these guys. So it just makes the current coming year and maybe the year after that just so much more important because it's become essentially common knowledge at this point that there are certain guys that have been absolute cornerstones for this team that are just not going to be in the mix anymore. And when you narrow down this list, it is promising especially if you look at guys that have potentially not, you know, risen to the occasion yet or are just coming out of the team like Kincaid for instance, It's interesting to see, you know, if one door closes, which it's going to, who's going to be able to keep the new door open? Because this door for the Bills for a while now, I mean, it's been open. As we see, it's continuously every year getting a little closer to being, you know, close to some extent. These are the guys over the next handful of years that are going to be the most important towards not only you know, keeping this new look Bills alive as far as being towards the top of the AFC, the top of the NFL, and being one of the best teams in the entire league where every year you go in and you assume they're going to be competing for a championship. Um, these are the guys. And I find it really interesting that when you do look at the short term compared to the long term, just how much I personally think the defense in, in particular is, is is highly affected. Because if you were to make a list right now of top 10 players overall on this Bills team, you'd, you'd have the majority of that top 10 probably be defense, right? You'd have Von Miller, you'd have Micah Hyde, you'd have Jordan Poyer, you'd have Matt Milano, you'd have Tredavious White, that right there is five. And you can make a real argument that just a couple of years from now, maybe even, you know, maybe shorter, depending on what happens, at least three of those guys aren't going to be there. Right? For a fact, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. And I just have never felt that Mike that Von Miller is playing out the extent of that deal. I don't think anybody assumes that. Right? I mean, Von Miller signed that massive deal when he came in last season, but I don't think anybody anticipates an aging Von Miller trying to stop by Buffalo and get a chip on his way out the door is going to play out that, that max contract. I just don't see it, especially after tearing his ACL. It makes you think even further about that entire situation. So the defense, in my opinion, is what gets impacted dramatically, and that's why when I look at the players that are currently on my most important list defensively, Those are the guys that I really keen in on, as as far as listen. If they if they don't play top level football, this Bills defense could fall off a quit a a cliff real quick. If the if the cornerstones that you're going to rely on, when those other guys aren't around, I'm not even really talking about Von Miller. I assume he'll be around for some extent, but I most I most when I when I think about how things are going to change, it almost always goes right to Jordan Poyer and Mike I And just because I think we all know that those two not being on the field and at the very minimum, at least one of them being on the field, if if they're both not out there, the defense is a shell of itself. If one's out there, it's still better. Obviously, we saw last season when Jordan Poyer wasn't in the game, the Bills weren't winning. I mean, that that was just, that was literally, there was a sample size in the middle of the season where if they, it wasn't even that they weren't winning. It's just, if they, if they were playing on defense in a style that just did not seem nearly as competitive or as ferocious as it typically does, it was because Jordan Poyer wasn't out there. I remember specifically when when going into the Baltimore Ravens game, I mean, I think it was the week prior Jordan Poyer had not played. I think the week prior might've been the Dolphins game. That was when like every single defender, starting starting defenseman for, for for the Bills was out on an injury. But he came back for the Ravens game and basically single-handedly won it for the Bills in the fourth quarter. He had that incredible interception on Lamar Jackson to kind of end the game. And I remember thinking back, you know, if Jordan Poyer's not in that game, that's a loss. There were several games throughout the season that you could, you could pinpoint in on, where if Jordan Poyer's impact on the, on, the, on the game wasn't felt, if he wasn't out there, it's a totally different ball ballgame. Um, so when those two are gone, or at least at the bare minimum, one, it's going to be a real different-looking defense. And you're going to have to rely on a lot of young talent as well as the now-turned-veteran talent. When you blink, Tredavious White is a stone-cold veteran now, right? Matt Milano, veteran now. I still remember when I was doing this piece for uh, for for Joe here, this list and my guide to to uh, analyze was Tre'Davious White. It blew my mind that he is that he has been on this team for as long as he has. This is his seventh season in the NFL. I mean, how is that even possible? It, it, like, not n- that does not seem that does not seem real. And I know it's because you know he missed the year and then last year or He missed half the year, and then last year, you know, he came back for only six games, and it just never quite seemed like he was fully himself. And you understood why it. He he kind of just rolled into those last six games, and it never quite felt like he was fully ready. So I think that's what makes it seem like it's been less time. But even so, the fact that he's been on this team for seven years already is just extraordinary to me. And it's guys like that that you're gonna look at and be like, this is now, this is now going to be the almost the entirety of the face of this defense when, when these guys end up hanging it up or, or moving on. So it, it just, it, it gets interesting. Uh, the the consensus top 10 list, I pulled it up right here. So this is what it boiled down to after all of us had submitted our ballots and then Joe kind of crunched the numbers and put them uh, in order. The order uh, wound up coming out like this. So number one, no secret. It was, number one was Josh Allen, obviously. Everybody had Josh Allen at one. Stephon Diggs, number two. Matt Milano, number three. Deion Dawkins at four. Greg Rousseau at five. Von Miller at six. Now, that shocked me. That shocked me because I did not have Von Miller on my list at all. So that just goes to show you how different some of these lists can be, and that's what makes it real real fun to see the results. Um, Tredavious White was seventh. Dalton Kincaid was eighth. And that's another thing that, you know, is very interesting because, because a guy who hasn't even played an NFL snap yet, right, is already firmly cemented into this list of guys that are going to be the team, right? They're going to be the faces, the cornerstones of the Buffalo Bills for the foreseeable future. And then Spencer Brown was at nine, and Kyer Elam rounded rounded out the list at 10. So, you know, you hear that list, and it's a lot of potential, and it's also a lot of guys I think that currently, you know, you hear Spencer Brown, you hear Kyer Elam, um, you know, potentially you hear Greg Rousseau, and you're thinking, man, if that's, you know, if that is what we have to rely upon on, they're really going to have to emerge into uh, you know. Uh, what other way to put it? The better, better players, right? Or more impactful? A guy like Kyir Elam, who you you couldn't even remember when he when he was on the field last season. Uh, Spencer Brown, very inconsistent, and then Greg Rousseau. I think he probably had one of the better years that he's had in his early career last year. But even so, I don't think Greg Rousseau has hit the ceiling in which Brandon Bean anticipated he would when he drafted him. There's still, I think a sizable amount of more expectation on a guy like Greg Russo and you wonder if the best he's going to be is what we've already seen or if there's still more to come but these are guys that currently if you looked at them and their impact right now you know you you would they get overshadowed by a lot of other guys but moving down the pipeline there's not going to be anybody to overshadow those guys. They're going to be in the spotlight. And that's where it gets interesting. Thinking about a team like the Buffalo Bills, who are solely relying on defense. You know, I, I'm Kyer Elam, who, you know, we pretty much know nothing about Kyer Elam as it stands right now, right? The offensive line being heavily relying on Spencer Brown, where we just don't, we don't know what, we we don't know if that's feasible. Right? You look at this list, that the consensus list as it stands currently, there was only two offensive linemen on that list. Now, interestingly enough, I took a different approach when it came to the offensive line. And I I went for what I thought would be the the potential to be the most impactful. The potential. Because that's what it's all about to me. When I'm thinking about the future here, I already know what I got right now. Now, whether they're going to be able to live up to what we expect of them, that's a whole other thing. I mean, the expectation, of course, right now is Super Bowl, and we all know how difficult it is to get there, but that's the expectation. I'm not entirely sure if the expectation will be that when this, this team is in a transition. Uh, that I mean, I, I don't know how soon it's going to be. There's going to come a point, though, where this team will be transitioning out of this loaded up roster that they currently have into having to downsize it a bit and then trying to find other guys to fill those gaps. And I think even last season, a perfect example of this because the chiefs are about a year ahead of the bills, as far as how this whole operation is, is run because Patrick Mahomes was drafted a year prior. So they're kind of, they're a really good measuring stick in my opinion, as far as looking at a team that's right on par with Buffalo, of course. And ultimately it's the team that Buffalo wants to, I mean, I I think they're on par with them to some extent. They're not on par as far as the success is concerned. I think as far as talent and lining up out on the football field, head to head, I think they're on par, but the bills have obviously fallen short where the the Kansas city chiefs have gotten over that hump numerous times now, but the chiefs are a really good example of what you can look at from a team that is similar to the bills or uh, what you can see from them and how they're operating around Patrick Mahomes, and that contract, how they build their team to get it where it's at. Moving on from guys and then continuously trying to rebuild, like almost mini rebuilds to some extent, to keep the momentum going, keep the success going. We just saw it last year with the Chiefs moving on from Tyreek Hill. And I thought what they had did to supplement the loss of Tyreek Hill was extraordinary. I thought it was one of the most underrated things any team pulled off last season. Everybody... You know, I think kind of assumes, you know, Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, they're going to be fine. I felt that they were going to be more than fine. I thought they were going to be even better, but you're still, you still did not know what losing probably the most explosive player in the entire sport was going to do to that offense. There were so many times where Mahomes got bailed out by a play. That was, you know, a, a five-yard dink and dunk over the middle, and, and Tyreek Hill takes it to the house for, for a touchdown, 80 yards. He did it against the Bills in the playoffs. I mean, we know that. How many times did he do that? And if you're a Chiefs fan, you had to have been been thinking to some extent, not having that, how much different is this team going to be? And because of that, how is it going to impact the success? They did not allow it to. Can't, I mean, shit, Mahomes had as good of a year as he's ever had. He was a better quarterback last year, I'd argue, without Tyreek Hill. He got everybody else involved. Kelsey, of course, uh, stepped up. But there were other guys out of nowhere like Juju Smith-Schuster who was such an impact that that wound up landing him a a long-term deal in New England, right? You have Isaiah Pacheco, guys out of the backfield that you hadn't heard of going into the season, they're making an impact. So that's kind of what I look at. And what I look at for the Bills is how are they going to be able to sort of do the same, kind of shuffle the deck every couple of years or so when necessary. How are they going to do that while also kind of making it seem like those those cards are, even though they've changed, they're not necessarily all that different. I think the Chiefs are a great example. What you got to hope is that the Bills continuously are able to do that. And that's not, I mean, it's not easy. It is not easy at all. And that's why coming down and breaking down this list, that to me, this, this whole experiment in itself is kind of tough because you're putting guys on the list that you really have no clue if they're going to be uh, important. It's almost some of these guys on the, on the list, you know, of course, they're going to be the most relied upon guys for these Buffalo Bills in the future. But some of the other guys on this list, they're strictly on this list just because of my desire. For them to be an impact on this team. Because it's not even necessarily like they're going to be. It's more so my like please for the love of God pan out type mentality that has them on this list. Because I wonder if if a guy like Kincaid doesn't pan out, right, it doesn't happen. If Kyir Elam, that doesn't happen, right? What's what what then happens to the Bills? So it's it's essentially, it's almost like you're making a list outside of the core, guys. You're making a list where you're just like, please, please, for the for the love of God, I hope it hits. So once again, the top 10 list that was the consensus was Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins, Greg Rousseau, Von Miller, Trey White, Dalton Kincaid, Spencer Brown, and Kyir Elam. So now we're going to go through my list. We're going to start at 10. And we're going to go up to one. And I'm going to give my little opinion on each, each individual ranking, why I had them where I did, and ultimately what led me to choose these 10 guys. Now, before I even get into who I chose, it's probably even better to come right out and say who I left off. Because there are guys that, I I strictly left off because I just don't think they'll be around. they all there. Also, are other guys that I felt probably deserve to be on the list, but I don't necessarily know if it's at a position that is going to be potentially as relied upon and therefore maybe not as impactful. So, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, not on the list. And I just I I don't I don't see how you could really have them on a list like this. And when I look back over at what we had done on the consensus list, Jordan Poyer, had, he he had come in uh, ranked 17th. Micah Hyde ranked 14th. So they weren't even necessarily close to being in the consensus top 10 list, much less mine. Jordan Poyer, I mean, barely cracking the top 20. And it once again just goes to show you that everybody now for the most part is just under the impression those two guys are just not going to be here not too long from now and I like I've said before I think we're lucky to have Jordan Boyer on this team this year much less any year beyond that I think we are lucky to have him back this year I was pretty much fully in terms with the fact that he wouldn't be a Buffalo Bill this year so the fact that he is I think is more than I would have imagined going into this offseason but Beyond that, we just have no clue. And I would imagine it's it's not much more beyond that. Micah Hyde, same deal. So he those two were not on my list. Now, Von Miller was ranked sixth on this consensus list. I did not have Von Miller on mine. I I am concerned about the injury, for one. I am concerned about what that's going to look like returning off that ACL injury at this stage in his career. It's an absolute worry of mine. I think he will 100% come back and be an impact. It's Von Miller. It's the first ballot hall of fame. Edge rusher. One of the best to ever do it. He's going to be an impact. And even if he's not necessarily the greatest player in the world, off this injury, his presence alone on that line, we all know how much that matters and how much that is able to get the most out of the rest of the guys lined up with him. But, you pair the injury with the fact that he was already close to retirement, and now you step back and you wonder if the Bills don't, you know, I think it all kind of hinges on the success of the team overall as well. Depending on what happens, you have a, you have now a, coming off of an ACL injury on the brink of retirement as is, He came to the Bills to win a Super Bowl, and if that doesn't happen this year and it didn't happen last year, how much longer is Von Miller hanging on to the Bills in order to try to get that ring before the exit? I just personally think that the injury had to have accelerated the desire to retire earlier than maybe he would have beforehand. I think that's a real thing. I don't think anybody is expecting Von Miller to play out the max – amount of years on his contract. And because of that, I look at Von Miller as somebody that I absolutely love having on this team. And I can't wait to have back because I think we, we, I mean, it it was like blue balls. It it was total blue balls with Von Miller last year. You saw the impact that he was having. And of course down the stretch, right when we were going to need him the most, essentially what he was brought on the team for, right. To be a presence, on every quarterback these Bills face in the postseason was not there. That was why Von Miller was signed. Right, they couldn't get to Patrick Mahomes in the in the playoffs, so they go out and get a guy who can, and he wasn't around for it. And it was just the worst. It was the worst timing. It just felt like the worst timing, and and, and that's just kind of how everything felt last year with these Bills. Right, everything just everything that that could have went wrong as far as just you know, kind of just shit, right? Shit that just is shitty, that sucks, happened, right? So Von Miller, uh, he was close on my list. I had him at like 11 or 12. But the reason he didn't crack my top 10 is just because I am not entirely sure how much longer he'll be on this team for. And I'm not entirely sure if he will be around long enough to be considered a player that, would be worthy of the most important towards the future. Von Miller, to me, is a now play. That's why they went and got him. Von Miller right now is on this team to capitalize on what they currently are. I think beyond him teaching guys like Greg Rousseau how to be better at their craft, I don't know how much more impact Von Miller has beyond this current window of of the Bills Looking forward, I don't see it being built around Von Miller on defense. Nor do I think anybody does. I understand the sentiment around why you think he is going to be the most, you know, he's going to be one of the more important players. Because I think, you know, for the 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 near window, right, the nearish future, yes. But when I'm thinking future, I'm thinking about guys that are going to be around for the long haul. To me, that's not Von Miller. Um. So those are three guys that, you know, it's kind of shocking to not have, like I said, on any, you know, any top 10 Bills list. You just imagine those guys are penciled in. But for those reasons, you know, I just I, – I I did not pencil them in on this one. And that, like I said, is just an unfortunate reality check to to not be able to do that because you have to think about what's what this is going to look like down the line and knowing that, you know, those three guys, all in which – you know, being on the defensive side of things, where they have, you know, Micah Hyde and Jordan Boyer in particular, those two have been the face of this defense. Um, sucks to not having them on the list. It just does because last year they were right. You know, they were they were both way up there, and rightfully so. So those three guys were not on my list. One guy that I also left off that I felt was deserving, but I did knock him just because of the position. And I understand this is the other thing too, that sucks because it was kind of like a double-edged sword where I don't want to devalue the kicking position, but I also don't want to replace what I feel to be maybe a more vital position with the kicking position. It, it, it kind of makes no sense because either way you're like, the intention is not to devalue the kicking because having a great field goal kicker is crucial. You can single-handedly, single-handedly lose games by having an inadequate kicker. So Tyler Bass was right on the fringe for me, right on the fringe. I personally think when you think about the future, a guy like Tyler Bass who just signed a new deal. Yes, he is definitely a major impact on the future. I I admittedly just docked him because it's the kicking position uh the the kicking position is one of those things where it just feels like when when they, when the when the wheels fall off and it never seems to be any concrete moment in some player's career, right? I mean, it, some of these guys like I mean these guys like Justin Tucker and Adam Vinatieri like they're the outlier. They're the outliers. They're 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 not they're 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 the exception, not the rule. Other great kickers like all of a sudden it it just kind of stops. They'll be the best kicker in the league or one of the best kickers in the league. And all of a sudden, you just kind of don't hear about him. I mean, Greg Zerline, for instance, he's still a decent kicker. But, I mean, there was a time when Greg Zerline, it felt like, was by far the best kicker in the league. You don't say that now. There's guys at the kicking position that are surefire, you know, top 10 kickers in the league. And then all of a sudden, you just don't hear about them as much. Now, I hope that doesn't happen with Tyler Bass. But I'm saying at the kicking position, oftentimes you are able to replace that a bit easier than you are other positions of need. And I think currently, as far as the kicking position is concerned, I have not been this satisfied with who we've had. I absolutely love Tyler Bass. I trust Tyler Bass. I rely on Tyler Bass in situations that he's clearly needed to step up in, and he has, I can't say a bad thing about him, but once again, getting down to a short list of 10 guys, it, it pained me to leave him off just because of the position. Cause I do think it is an extremely important position to have locked down. But when you, when you get into this team and what they're going to have to have in different areas on both defense and offense, it's just, there, there was no room. Um. Another another player that I did not have on my list that I just felt was a casualty of once again being in the position that he's currently in. Uh, James Cook. Running back, I did not have a single running back on my list. And if I were to, of course, have a running back, it would be James Cook. But how can I how can I put James Cook in a in a top 10 most important players list for the Bills? When one, I have no idea what the utilization is going to be. Last year, I thought it was pathetic. You draft him early second round. when when, When he did get an opportunity, it really felt like he was worthy of that pick at times. I don't think we saw him nearly enough. It did not justify a second round pick last year the way they utilized him. They let him get going towards the end of the year, and it just clearly felt to me like he was a guy that if you got involved more, could be a major impact. I just have no idea what the plan is with the running back position. It's a constant revolving door, not only with the Bills, but in the entire league. But currently, right now, with the Bills, I do feel good about this running back room going into the year. It's probably about as good as I've felt about the running back room in a while. But with that said, James Cook, I think, can be an extraordinarily impactful player for this offense in the foreseeable future. I just have no idea if he's going to be utilized properly and i also have no idea if they're just going to move on from like they do with with like they like to do currently in the in the running back rotation um last year i just felt like there was different things that, that could have been done at the running back position to get creative and get guys involved Naheem hines was signed on this team he, he what did he get five snaps it felt like the entire season at the running back position he was essentially just drafted as a glorified you know kick returner he was he was never given a chance really to show his talents on offense James Cook was given far more opportunity than Naheem Hines was of course but I just felt like it was not nearly enough. And I wanted to see so much more and I'm hoping we get that this year. And that's where I think a guy like James Cook doing this next year. When I do this list next year. I I I like one of my biggest desires would be to have James Cook on my list this time next year. This exact list because if i have him on my list next year what that tells me is he was he was impactful enough on this bill's team this coming season to where i i i can't dispute the fact that if he continues to do that that then he has to be on a list of players at his current age right going into only his second season he would have to be on the top 10 most important players towards the future but right now just based on the unknown i can't put him on there i can't but if, if Ken Dorsey gives him an adequate role in this offense this coming season, and he capitalizes on that, then I would love to see him be in this list uh, from my personal ballot next season. And I'll tell you right now, he will be. If if done if done properly, I I'll say that to me. Uh, there's so many things, of course, going into the season that I'm stoked about the running back room the running back room as it stands right now is one of the things that I think I'm most excited about going into the 2023 season, because I think, and this is just, I have no concrete, you know, evidence of this, but I think when you move on from Devin Singletary, you have James cook as the second round pick. You saw what he was capable of last year. I mean, you have got to think unless Just full-blown incompetency kicks in. He is going to be a prominent player on this offense this coming season. I don't see how he couldn't be. You move off from Devin Singletary. You draft James Cook in the second round. The guy clearly has an insane amount of potential. I hope to God he's given a fair shot. And when I say fair shot, I don't even really mean fair shot. I'm talking like a solidified role where I'm seeing James Cook have an have a piece of this offense dedicated to his skill set. And when you look at the addition of Damian Harris, who is bringing a style of running to this team that they have not probably had since Fred Jackson, that is very interesting to me. I get two different types of running backs at two different stages of their careers, and that's why I think what that can bring the, the 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 bruiser mentality, the run you over, short goal line, get that yard type guy that Damian Harris is, a finesse, real agile, incredibly shifty, quick, and great getting the ball out of the backfield and James Cook. Those two in unison and then how they're used this year, I'm very excited about that. So I'll say before breaking down my list here, the one guy I hope I have in my list next year is James Cook. All right, so let's start at number 10 on my list as we move off of the players I did not have on my list. Number 10, Kyrie Elam. Now, this to me boils down to a couple factors. Because Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer aren't on this list, is the reason Kyrie Elam has to be on this list. Because when Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer leave, you are then going from, I think right now, right as it stands, with a healthy Trey White, a healthy Micah Hyde, and a healthy Jordan Poyer, there, there really isn't a better backfield in the NFL. That is, that is pretty much about as good as it gets. You look around this whole league. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm sure there's an argument or two, but either way, the Bills, they are in the argument right now, as far as talent is concerned, being the best backfield, defensive backfield in the league, and that will probably go from that to immediately being one of the most unsure, one of the most inexperienced. Because those two are going to be gone almost I, if not the same year within a year of, of each other. I just it, that's the way it's going to be. and they're the they're the reason they're the reason why this backfield has been so dominant for 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 what feels like years now. That is going to be an incredible gap. And a guy like Kyer Elam, who you trade up for, in last year's draft and, and taking round one, look as a first as a first round pick on a team that is going to desperately need something to rely upon in that backfield as the as the future continues to creep near, and as a team that currently they need better performance at cornerback too. Tre'Davious White is back. Yes, he's healthy. That's great. It's it, it's it's huge, right? But you're looking around the league right now and TreDavius White can only take away only one guy. We got to go up against the Cincinnati Bengals, they got 3 guys, right? You got to go up against the Chiefs, they'll figure something out no matter what, right? A Couple of these you go up against the Eagles this year, I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. AJ Brown? Okay, we got we got TreDavius White on AJ Brown. Okay, what about what about the four other guys on this absolute all-star just insanely loaded offense that the Philadelphia Eagles have, you have got to have you have you absolutely have got to have respectable corners in the AFC if you're going to want to compete defensively against this against this current conference the way it stands. Almost every single one of these teams right now, as far as weaponry is concerned, are absolutely loaded, just stacked. And even teams that you might not think, as far as the names are concerned, are loaded i mean if if done right they they really are Jacksonville Jaguars. I know I keep bringing them up, but to me, that is just a team that I think makes headlines this year because I just think that they're doing all the right things. Trevor Lawrence is hitting his stride just like they would hope they would hope he would when they drafted him. Coming into this league is probably the most. Hyped up prospect of my lifetime. You get rid of Urban Meyer and you bring in other pieces that other guys around other teams around this league did not want, and Doug Peterson takes these guys and revamps their career. You got Evan Ingram, you got Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley's going to be on this team now. So it's even even teams that you don't necessarily think of in the realm of the Chiefs and the Eagles and the Bengals, right? That we have to play. They're still loaded, and you have absolutely got to have respectable corner play in order to compete. Kair Elam has got to be a factor for this team in the in the foreseeable future because if he's not, then think about it. who's going to be? Because it's going to be Tradavius White and a whole lot of nothing in this defensive backfield. You are drafted round one. Brandon Bean trades up to get you. And as it stands right now, I don't, we don't, what do we know about Kyir Elam? We just don't, It. the whole thing to me thus far, the whole Kyrie Elam experience thus far has just been a lot of, I have no idea, right? It just kind of feels like we, we don't know, certainly up until this point, it has not felt like he has been a first round pick, does it? It just doesn't feel like it. the the constant revolving door in the backfield last season that he was involved with. I just don't necessarily think about Kyrie Elam as a player that I I'm like, Oh yeah. First round. It it is, has not felt like that at all. Kyrie Elam has not felt like a first round draft pick for this team, but now, you know, going, going into the future, which is what this list is all about. There's still plenty of time, of course the, the, the kids played one year, and once again it is it, it was it was almost like the defensive equivalent at times to James Cook where that I was just speaking on a second ago, where it's like you know you, you almost don't know if there's enough opportunity being given in order for them to justify the pick with their play I, I don't know. Chalk it up to the the rookie year under Sean McDermott type thing where it just feels like there's never any trust. I have no idea. I hope to see more this year, and I'm sure we will. But a guy at that prominent of a position, drafted in the first round, Brandon Bean makes a move on you to go up and get you. A guy of that type of stature and that type of investment from the franchise has absolutely got to be an impactful player for this team when you look down the line and look at the incredible changes that are due up in that defensive backfield so Kyir Elam for, to me is on this list because of that as I was mentioning earlier there are guys on this list that are on here because they're it's it's a no-brainer of course they're on here they' they're, they're the team right there are guys like I said earlier that are on this list though because you just hope that they are what they were drafted to be Kyrie Elam's a perfect example of that. He was drafted to be the next Tradavius White for this off for this for this defense. He was drafted to be the guy that could shadow Tradavius White on the opposite side of the field, right? And be part of a of a evolving backfield. That's what you got to basically call that at this point. Because it's going to be evolving. And, and not for nothing, too. Tredavious White, who we'll get uh, we'll get to in a minute, Tredavious White, who yes, two time All Pro, and when he, when healthy and playing at his full potential, is one of the best corners in the league. He, he, we we still we don't we don't know. I'm not ready to judge Tredavious White's uh, ability off of what we saw last year because I just think it was a shit sample size. I personally do. We never saw we never saw him back to hundred percent last year. I never felt like he was. And I can't grade what what my my expectations are, Tradavius White, based on what we saw from those six games. Even with that said, he's still coming off of an ACL injury at a position where it's probably the most vital. The cornerback position and movement, right? Your ability to move is vital in any position in the NFL, but it might be the most vital at the corner position because you have got to be able to move in every direction at any given second in order to trail your 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 wide receiver. And of course, now with these wide receivers that the bills are facing in the AFC, it's just better and better and better. We don't know if Tredavious White's going to get back to that all pro form. We just don't know. ACL is just a brutal injury that affects, you know, players completely differently. We've seen that, but we just don't know how that's going to be the long-term, how the long-term effect of that is going to be for Tredavious White. So you factor that (laughs) into You, you think about it. You factor that in, and the three players that are the reason that your built that your defensive backfield is currently the best in the league potentially. Three of those players all got some sort of asterisks on them right now, right? Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, the asterisks being they're not going to be here, and the asterisks on Tre'Davious White is we don't know what we don't know if he's going to be able to get back to all pro form off of this injury. So for all those reasons tyre Elam has, it's not even like, he, it's not like, oh, he's going to be an impact. I don't know that. All I know is he has to be, he has to be, because if he's not, then I don't, I don't love the idea of whatever that's going to look like defensively in the backfield in the near future. I don't, I, I don't even want to think about it. He's got to be something. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's got to be the, he's got to be the next Revis, right? I'm not saying that, but he's got to be a guy that you can say. As far as the defensive backfield is concerned for the Buffalo Bills, they are solid with Kyer Elam out there. That's all I want. At the very minimum, as we as we grow here. As we grow here. You can't say that right now. So hopefully, once again, like James Cook almost to some extent, hopefully this time next year, you know, Kyrie Elam's even farther up on that list. You hope. Another year, another opportunity, and hopefully more opportunity. And then we can see what we are, you know, in store for as time ticks on. Moving on from number 10 to number nine, Dawson Knox. I had Dawson Knox at number nine. Now this is this is in this is where it gets a little interesting because he is four spots below where I have Dalton Kincaid. That's how much value I put into potential on a list like this, because the potential is absolutely everything when it comes to the, when it comes to future success for any team at any given time. Every time you make a draft pick, right? when Bill, when the bills took Josh Allen, it was all about the potential. They knew what it could be potentially as far as as far as going the other direction that it's been that everybody was saying it was going to be, right? But they also knew that potential could be what it has been, and that is Josh Allen being a a top three quarterback in the NFL. The whole thing is predicated on potential. That's why the draft's so interesting and it's so fun. That's why everybody gets so stoked up about it when your team sucks. That's why we loved it, or I know I did at least, when the Bills were terrible. The draft was great. Because every year, it was just another opportunity. That's why if you talk to any Jets fan, their favorite time of the year is the draft. They don't give a shit about the season. They can't wait for that to end so they can get another chance at the potential. Right? Dawson Knox, I don't know. They're, they're, the potential, I don't. that's not relevant. With Kincaid, that's why I have him further up the list. We'll get to him in a minute. I think what we've seen from Dawson Knox is what we're going to get from Dawson Knox. And I think it's been damn good. Right, I think what Dawson Knox has been for this team has been damn good. I think when we first saw Dawson Knox make his debut for for the team, and he kind of had a he had an issue with drops right out of the gate. I don't think we would have really anticipated Dawson Knox to have evolved from a guy that just felt like he really couldn't catch the ball consistently. I, he, he 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 would then go on to to develop into over the last couple of seasons a guy that has been an absolute top asset for this offense and really it felt like last year probably the the, the top alternate option for Josh Allen outside of Stefan Diggs and there's a reason that he earned an additional contract where the the money coming to him is up, up towards the the top end of uh, the tight end list Dawson Knox has been an incredible asset for this team, and I think way more than the Bills would have anticipated when he first started out. You look at the last couple of seasons, and, he, and it's consistency that I love. Because when you look at the first two seasons for him with these Bills, there was nothing that would really make you, you know, it would, it would, you, nothing that would make your eyebrows stand up and and, and get you excited. It's pretty elementary but the last two seasons have been almost identical as far as numbers are concerned. And they're great numbers. The last two years and the consistency, once again, is this is exactly what you want. And that's why when I, when I look at the future, I'm thinking, all right, well, if we can get this consistently and you add Kincaid and we'll see what that winds up turning into, as far as this two tight end set is concerned and how that could potentially even further the success of Dawson Knox. And that's why I do not understand anybody who thinks that, that drafting Dalton Kincaid was a indictment on Dawson Knox. It's the exact opposite. I think if anything, it might enhance the play and the in the in the numbers and the in the impact of Dawson Knox. That's how I see it. This isn't a replacement. This is a this is a partnership to some extent. And you want to talk about things I'm excited for coming into the season. That's got to be number one. That, that has got to be number one the two tight end set and how this is going to work that, that that's got to be on everybody's short list of things you're looking you're looking forward to the most this year what is that going to look like because we have seen that when teams do run 12 personnel correctly they have succeeded offensive production has been phenomenal for the teams that have successfully executed the 12-man format over the last couple of seasons. And if you look at the numbers, it's not that the Bills aren't... The Bills are so low down down that list of teams because they don't run it. But when you look at the teams who do run it on a pretty consistent basis, they do extremely well offensively. So Dawson Knox, with these numbers, the last two seasons, 49 catches in 21, 48 last year, almost identical. 5.87 through the air in 21, 5.17 last year, almost identical. 11 yards a catch in 2022, 12 yards a catch in 2021, six touchdowns in 2022, a slight decrease from 21 where he was tied for the league lead in touchdown receptions by a tight end with nine. Damn good numbers. And when I'm talking about players that are going to be impactful for the future. I have got to see consistent impact because that's the whole key. When I'm looking at guys that are already impactful and I look to be down the line as well, there has to be an element of consistency. With the guys that I'm just hoping pan out, that's all based on potential. But the guys that are currently the most relied upon, if they're going to be down the line as well, it's all going to be about consistency. And what I've loved out of Dawson Knox is after two initial years where there were a lot of people, and I think at, at one point or another, there was a time where I was in the I was in the realm of people that was kind of out on Dawson Knox after the first couple of seasons. But he completely has flipped the script, in my opinion. Over these last two years, he has truly been towards the top end of the tight end list, you know, outside of the juggernaut first ballot hall of famers, because there's a difference. The, 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 the tight end position is very unique that way. I think where it's just not created equal. You have got a, you have got a realm of, of players in Travis Kelsey and George Kittle in, you know, back when Gronk, right before Gronk retired there, there, there was a, the the, the tight end position has this small core of guys that are just, just leaps and bounds better than the rest of the league. I mean, they are just, they are walking Hall of Famers as the, as it stands right now, already some of them. I mean, Travis Kelsey might be the best of all time, truly. And, I, and in my lifetime alone, I have seen probably some of the best tight ends that'll ever play. You can have the debate. I mean, in my opinion, it's gotta be Gronk or, or Kelsey, but I've just never seen a guy like Travis Kelsey, just be so, un- he is undefendable. He is undefendable. Nobody in the entire league has figured out a way to cover Travis Kelsey in the red zone. Nobody. Not a soul. That guy is open. Without, without a soul within 10 yards of him in the red zone every game. I've never seen anything like it. And a lot of it has to do with the mastermind crafting of play calling by, by Andy Reid. but guess what? They're in conjunction of one another, and he benefits from the fruits of that labor. So I don't cater, I don't lump all the tight ends with those guys, because the, 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 to me, it's just a different realm. If we're talking about just solid top end tight ends, though Dawson Knox is right up there, right up there. And I think with this consistency that we can expect, based on what we've seen the last couple of seasons, Dawson Knox 100% a player that you look at to be one of the more important uh, for this team in the future. Now, number eight gets interesting. And I know I probably have him a little high, but this is where, once again, I, I might put more value on potential than maybe others. And I also put a lot of value on potential in positional groups that absolutely need the potential to pan out into the ceiling. And that's why I have Osiris Torrance at number eight on my list. Now, Osiris Torrance did not make the consensus list. And I was one of only three people in the, uh, in the list, in the making of the list to put him on it. I'm I was I was personally shocked that that there weren't more guys that had him on the list. I was I was honestly kind of stunned by that. Because I think that, and you can see it, I actually did a piece uh with Joe. I did a piece on Osiris Torrance um for his for the show. Uh we each had two different topics to talk about. One of mine was Tradavius White. The other is Osiris Torrance, and I mentioned it there. When you go and watch this, uh, when you go and watch that afterwards, if you haven't already, this list, Osiris Torrance is handcrafted for this list. He is the definition of a guy you have on this list. You quite clearly need an upgrade on on, an offensive line. I mean, it, it is like one of the most obvious aspects of this team currently. The offensive line has got to be better. And they've said it every other way they could possibly say it. Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, how many times have they said it? Now, they don't come right out and say, hey, the the line's average at best, and it's killing us. But they're saying, you know, Josh Allen needs to be protected. Josh Allen needs to be protected, right? So in this past draft, you got potentially the best guard in the entire draft Many thought potentially first round type talent. And based on a lot of the 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 pollings and the rankings and the analytics off of the you know the scouting combine and whatnot, one or first or second best guard in this entire draft. he falls all the way to you, wrapped in a bow, late second round after you already were able to get potentially the best pass catcher in this entire draft falling all the way to you in the late first round. Think about the opportunity that had landed in your lap and the potential of what that could be in the foreseeable future. If Osiris Torrance plays up to the ability or plays up to the uh, stature, I guess you could say of being touted as the best guard in this draft you take a flyer on a guy in the second round and it's not like you're just trying to scratch off a lottery ticket here on a guy that might have some potential you're scratching a lottery ticket off here on a guy that was pretty much the undisputed number one guard in this draft and you come into an offensive line that currently is just there's not there's not a whole lot to rely upon there if really anything Deion dawkins yes mitch morse yes but i i mean mitch morse it, He's had four or five concussions, and he's getting up there in age as well. Mitch Morris, you can't have him on this list because how much longer is Mitch Morris going to be a Buffalo Bell? Frankly, it kind of still stuns me he's coming back. The guy is toughest <laughs> guys, the toughest mother ever I've ever seen. But you look at this line, and I mean, you know, and I understand why they see a lot of guys had Spencer Brown on the list. I didn't. Because I think the potential of what Osiris Torrance can be, it, it outweighs what I think the potential of Spencer Brown can be. Osiris Torrance is a freak. And not to say that uh, Spencer Brown isn't either. I, I've seen Spencer Brown in person. And he does tower over everybody else. But Osiris Torrance is just one of those guys that just seems to me like, I, I don't know, just just, just extraordinary features For a guy that you get in the second round that are is able to put them to use. I'm pretty sure the guy didn't allow a single pressure last season for the Florida Gators. So I look at the offensive line right now, love Deion Dawkins outside of that. It's a whole lot of cross your fingers. If I'm going to cross my fingers, I'm going to cross my fingers on a guy like Osiris Torrance who was Consider to be what he was going into this draft, the measurables, and then, of course, what he was able to put out on the field for the Florida Gators in college. If he hits his ceiling, I mean, look at this. Yeah, look at what Jack, uh, Jerk's coming in here saying. Yeah, so it was zero sacks, and I didn't know, I, I knew that, but I didn't know this. This is extraordinary. Zero penalties. It's the one thing that I thought Deion Dawkins struggled with a lot last season. A lot. Felt like Deion Dawkins had more penalties last year than he had in his whole career combined. That's a huge factor for an offensive lineman. Huge. It's got to be one of the more underrated aspects, right? Think about it. How many times are you going to screw the team on a holding call? That's an extraordinary stat. Didn't know that. That's wild. So think about that, though. This one right here is all about potential to me, but the reason I have him as high up as I do without playing a single NFL snap before is because I just look at this as being one of those situations where the Bills could have really lucked out in a time where they desperately needed to. This line has absolutely got to get better, and I I just don't think you have any better opportunity to get off on the right foot doing so than what you have currently right now. I, I am over the moon stoked, just beyond stoked about that draft pick, and I cannot wait to see how it comes to fruition because I personally believe – If Osiris Torrance hits that ceiling, it's going to be the best second round draft pick spent in in, in forever. If he hits that ceiling, if he is able to be Josh Allen's protector for the foreseeable future, home run, home run. And that's why I got Osiris Torrance at eight. Now, number seven is Greg Rousseau. That's where I got Greg Rousseau. I got him at number seven. I think Greg Rousseau last year, like I was mentioning a little bit earlier, I think that was probably, was probably his best year, right? I would say last year was probably his best year. It felt like it at least, if not one of them, but you know, a lot of people had Von Miller on the list. And I understand that the reason I have Greg Rousseau on the list outside of Von Miller is simply because of the longevity in which I think that we will get out of a guy like Greg Rousseau compared to what we're going to get out of Von Miller. And I think that one of the biggest impacts that Von Miller has had on his team in the short time he's been here has been the ability to have an impact on a guy like Greg Rousseau, and I think that mattered last year. Um, so I'm just taking a look currently at. Uh, I want to compare last year's numbers from Greg Rousseau to 2021, so, and this is the other thing too. I, as far, sometimes I think players are like Rousseau feels like he's been on this team longer than two seasons. This this is pretty much another potential. Because I think what you get currently out of Greg Rousseau is solid. It's nothing amazing. It's nothing, you know, it's not It's not the solution as far as edge presence. It's not. But it's solid. And I think there's a lot more to be seen if it can get there. Because we only have a two-year sample size, of course, and I think last year compared to the rookie year, I kept saying, I kept saying, by the way, oh, was this Greg Rousseau's best season? It's I swear to God, it does not feel like he's only been on this team for two years. I would have guessed three. I'm losing my mind. But yes, clearly last year was a much improved year compared to year one. And I felt as though it would be just because of the presence of Von Miller. Now the sacks were down, but it just felt like he was more involved last year than he was the season prior. He had a bunch more tackles. Um I'm just looking, comparing uh, comparing him to last year. Oh, no, I'm flipping that. I'm flipping that, though. The sacks were doubled. I'm just realizing that. I flipped it around. Okay, this is, uh, this is better than I thought out of Greg Roussel last year, just kind of looking at the numbers as far as the improvement from one year to the next. Look, from his rookie year to his sophomore year, he doubles his sacks. I mean that's what that's what you want to see. If we're talking about the when, when I'm talking about potential, right? I'm talking about the future of the team and in players that are going to be a part of it. The guys with the potential, right? It's got to be this. It's got to almost be like a, a curve. It's not going to be immediate. When I when, like, when I was just talking about Osiris Torrance, I don't I don't imagine this coming season he comes out there and he's you know he, he's the greatest offensive lineman to ever put on a helmet but I want to see the gradual progression. This is a, this is a, a perfect example If you. If you are able to double your sacks from fr- from your rookie season into your next, and you're kind of able to continuously keep that curve growing. Well, then all of a sudden by the time you hit four year, you're, you're four or five on that curve. You're kicking ass. I think Von Miller being back with Rus- with Rousseau's presence alongside of him is going to be beneficial for him, and we know it was last year. But if we get another year of that, maybe even, you know, the more I think we get of that, the better I think it serves Greg Rousseau. I just think that he's a better player with a guy like Von Miller out on the field because I don't – Greg Rousseau as it stands currently – Like I was just saying, he's not the guy you're going to rely on to be your sole edge presence. He's just not the guy he is right now. Maybe he will be. You hope he could develop into that, but that's not what it is right now. But when he's not relied upon to be that top guy, I think that's where you see him shine, and we saw him do that a season ago. I think you can make the exact same argument for Gabriel Davis on the offensive side of the ball. When Gabe Davis is not relied on as the wide receiver two, but he's relied on as an asset amongst a core of guys that can also be relied on. I think that's when you get the best Gabe Davis. That's why I think this addition of Dalton Kincaid allows not only the benefit of uh, potentially even better play from Dawson Knox. Like I was speaking on earlier, I think it also correlates right down to better play from Gabriel Davis as well. I think Gabriel Davis being relied upon as a wide receiver too. Uh, it just, it's not, it might not be his game, but if he is a solid option in a rotation of guys, we see how, how much of an impact he can be. This is kind of a similar example on the defensive side of things. When you're relying on Greg Rousseau, it's just not necessarily meeting expectation, but when you got other guys that make him better right out on that field. Then you definitely see the impact. I, I guess I didn't realize, though. By the way, I'm just once again a, a pretty awesome stat line to see that Greg Russo had doubled his sacks last season. I feel like I had to have known that at some point, but must have slipped my mind because I'm just seeing this now again, and it's really standing out to me. Um, like I said, when talking about the future, it's all about this gradual curve upward. And you know, during that time there's going to be plateaus, there's probably going to be even spikes down. But as long as the entire year in itself, for the most part, has somewhat of an upward curve, it just it it compounds. You're going to see that pan out when it gets to the point when they're going to be guys that are solely relied on or relied on much more than they currently are right now. Um number six number six Dion dawkins the snowman love deon i think i'm gonna be seeing Dion in a couple weeks by the way hopefully do another uh interview done a few with him in the past he is my favorite person to interview uh hopefully got another one of those coming down the pipeline soon hopefully got some other fun stuff potentially but likely we'll see though we'll see Got some fun stuff coming down the pipeline in a couple weeks from now. I'm very excited about, and I think part of that will be my man, Dion, who I got at number six on my list. And Von Miller, or excuse me, uh, Dion was number four on the consensus list. Um, The reason I got Dion on my list is because he is currently the best offensive lineman on this team. And I frankly don't know how much I I just don't currently know the argument to be made as far as how close it really is. I think Deion Dawkins not only has been an extraordinary offensive lineman for this team since he was drafted, but I also think he's been one of the best personalities that this team has had in a very long time. That stuff matters to me. The face of the franchise, the way it's represented, of course, you hear me talk about that all the time. I mean, Deion Dawkins is like the prime example of that. He is just the best. He represents this team so well. He embodies the culture of Buffalo and their fans and all of that just so well. Um, And truly, I think he is. He's one of my favorite Buffalo Bills of all time. Yeah, Dawkins. He truly is. I just I absolutely love everything about him. I thought last season. It it just felt a bit. it, It felt a bit rough. Compared to others. Like I said earlier, it felt as though he had more penalties than I can ever remember him having last season. But this is a guy that has now been on this team. He, he's going I'm double checking. Yeah, he's going into his one, two, three, four, five. Six. Yeah, he's going into it. Man, that's another guy. God, that's insane. I, I don't know why I lose track of the years like this, but damn, Dion's going into his seventh season. How is that even possible? Why does that not seem like real? Whatever. This is a guy, though, over seven over seven seasons has just, I think, gotten better and better and better. I know last season it didn't necessarily feel like it was a step up. I don't know how much of a step down it was. He has been tremendous, re- tremendously reliable, I think. And in an offensive line where it's just been a lot of eh, I think Deion Dawkins for the last handful of years has really felt like the shining the, the shining spot on an otherwise not so glamorous offensive line. And I think what we've seen out of him is a guy that you have not only essentially built around since Josh Allen has been part of this team because Dion was drafted the year prior to Josh Allen. So this is a guy that has been protecting Josh Allen his entire career and vice versa. Josh Allen's been right behind him and it's been, it's been completely. What's the word? I just go back to reliable. Dion Dawkins is one of those guys I do rely on to, to be one of those guys that I know is going to be, putting his best foot forward on an offensive line that just needs they absolutely need to give all 110% full pedal to the metal type gas effort in order to compete because they just can't rely on talent. It's just not there currently. But I think with Deion Dawkins, you get a mix of not only great talent, but you get a guy who loves the game, loves his team, loves to win and will do anything to do to to win to me, man. He's just an all around. It's just, I I don't know all around. I think he just checks every box and moving forward. I just see Deion Dawkins being that type of guy like that. You can continue to rely upon like we have. And you hope that as you add guys around him, it can get even better for Deion where, you know, as he gets older, he doesn't necessarily have to be the guy that is the only star type player on the offensive line. That's why I'm really hoping to God Osiris Torrance pans out. Because you get those two together playing at at, at, top, at top notch level. I want to see it, right? All right. We're moving into the top five. And kicking off the top five at number five is the newest Buffalo Bill, a player that has not taken an NFL snap yet. Dalton Kincaid, number five. Putting all my potential chips into almost one basket here on Dalton Kincaid. I know I sprinkled some on uh, Osiris Torrance at number eight, but I I already got Dalton Kincaid at top five as far as importance to the future of this franchise. So for starters... This is the first offensive player you've taken in the first round since Josh Allen. To me, that means something to me that matters. This is a guy over the last over half decade here to be the first offensive player added to this team in the, in the first round, the guy that has been, I don't know. I mean, maybe worthy is the word. This is a guy that Brandon Bean found to be the only offensive player over the last X amount of years to be Worthy of a first or for a first round pick. We have got to understand how important it is for a guy like Dalton Kincaid to be successful for this team. The offense currently, as it stands, as far as weapons are concerned, it's just not to me. It's it, it's overrated. It just it is right now. I think that the that Josh Allen has overshadowed a lot of the inadequacies of this team as far as what the personnel looks like currently on offense. I look around the rest of the AFC, and as far as personnel is concerned, there are several other teams, in my opinion, that are on par with the Bills, if not better. And it's going to be a tough battle to getting beyond what it currently is at this moment. Because outside of Stephon Diggs, who you wonder, right, you just wonder, how long do you have elite-level Stephon Diggs left for? Because besides that, you you just realize that Gabe Davis is not a surefire solid wide receiver too. He's just not. I mean, maybe he develops into one out of nowhere this year. Who knows? Maybe last year was an off year. I don't know. But what we saw last year, it was not what we we had hoped. Right? Cole Beasley being gone was massive. Massive. Outside of Stefan Diggs and I think this is just a, a horse that has been beaten time and time again at this point. It is just a there is a whole lot of not much. Dalton Kincaid has got to be the guy and is it is the plan here is for him to be the guy to come in and change the narrative on that. He is going to be the guy that is going to be the cornerstone of the offensive weaponry unit of this buffalo bills team moving into the future and if he's as good as what many people think he can be people saying that he might have the best he might have had the best hands in the entire draft potentially the best pass catcher in the entire draft pretty much seem to be the undisputed best tight end in the draft I am so over-the-moon excited about this pick and what it could mean for the future of this team because if you look at what it is currently, the future of this Buffalo Bills team desperately needs additions on the offensive side of the ball around Josh Allen in order for them to continuously be successful year in and year out. Because if all of a sudden Stephon Diggs was no longer a Buffalo Bill, that's why I don't understand why the Bills offense gets touted as, as, as elite as it is when talking about who they have. It's elite based on their production. But based on who they have, it's just not, it is not one of those star-studded lines. And you know that to be true because if Stephon Diggs hung it up tomorrow, there wouldn't be a household name other than Josh Allen on that offense. There wouldn't be Dolan Kincaid. If he winds up becoming a top end, like the tight ends I was talking about earlier, I, I, you know, the shortlist tight end that is going to be everything and it. It almost has to happen. It almost has to happen to some extent. He has got to be pressed up against one of the better tight ends in the league over a couple over the next couple of seasons in order for, I think, this offense to keep up with the curve that we are seeing right now with this offensive explosion in the AFC. And the potential is just extraordinary. And and once again, it's lined up in unison with the need. Just like Osiris Torrance, the need for offensive weapons has never been greater. It seems like they get it right at the perfect time. And the potential, if it hits the ceiling, could be the ultimate X factor and the ultimate solution. So excited for what, Dolan Kincaid could be for this team. Just beyond excited about it. And that excitement and the overall potential of what I think to be, you know, a guy that could be the next guy for Buffalo. I mean, that's just how I see him. He could be the next guy. That's why I got him in the top five. Because I, back to another, you know, back to the whole like wanting it to happen. I got him in the top five because that's how much I want this to be true. I want to look at the future of this Buffalo Bills team and think Dalton Kincaid is running shit, right? He is Josh Allen's go-to guy. And if that ends up being the case, you feel a lot better about the future going forward when you already have a guy like that, that you were able to build into it during the current process that they're in right now, because it's not just going to fall out of the sky. I mean, maybe it will. I don't know. We'll see how how extraordinary this 12 man personnel winds up being. <laughs> we'll see if it just comes out of the gates and it's unbelievable. That would be freaking great, but I'm just thinking over time with the potential that this kid has, man, mm, it's top five worthy to me as far as, Importance of the Buffalo Bills. If Don Kincaid hits his ceiling, I mean, you gotta find me five other players that would be more important. If he hits his ceiling, that's gonna be as important as it gets because there's gonna be some point in that future where either Stephon Diggs is not a Buffalo Bill or he's just not an elite. I mean, we we you see it at the wide receiver position all the time. It is so hard to maintain that top five-ish type level of play at that position. Over an elongated amount of time, it's just it's it's a tough. It's like the position in itself is not meant to be able to do that forever. So it just makes it all that much more important. And man, I am I am just stoked, stoked about what we could get out of Dalton Kincaid. Not only this year, I mean, I'm I, this year is, is the, is, this. I mean, this is the initial. Oh, Siri, what is this? What is Siri? What is she doing? Shut up. Siri on my computer will just pop up for no reason. I, I, don't, I don't get it. It'll just, like, I, I was talking earlier and I was watching it. Siri popped up and it just recorded everything I was saying. I didn't even say anything. I, I don't even understand how the hell it popped up. Does it all the time. Um, whatever. Siri screwed me up. Ugh. So annoying. Alexa does it all the time too, all the time. You ever have the the Alexa go off at night for like no reason? Happens to me all the time. And you know what's funny about those things too? Like I, they're cool. You don't really use it. You don't use it. Like yeah, it, it's great technology and it can do like a million different things, but you don't use it. When's the last time you use Siri? Think about it. When's the last time you use Siri? I'm trying to think about it right now. It's got to be years. I remember when Siri first came out. And I just thought it was like, I, I mean, I thought I was witnessing the, the, the invention of water. I thought it was the coolest thing. I mean, I don't think I've used it since. And I, I was in middle school at the time. So the only time I ever use it is when I'm telling it to shut the hell up because I didn't, I didn't, I did not ask it to do anything. Like, go away. The Alexa especially. Because that thing is the most sensitive thing of all time. It'll hear anything. Anything. Or if, like, the TV says Alexa, if like, they got a freaking Amazon commercial on, and the commercial says Alexa, and then the Alexa in the room goes off, because of the commercial, nothing drives me more insane. I've, it is the worst. Worst. I don't even know how we just got down there. Anyway, number four, Tredavious White. And this was the guy that I broke down in uh, an extension what am I trying to say? I don't know. This is the guy I broke down for Joe Marino's show around lockdown bill. This is the guy that I got in deep on um, as far as explaining why he was in the list um, for the top 10, most important players for the future of the Buffalo bills. Um, A lot of it to me goes back into what I was saying a little bit earlier about why Kyrie Elam needs to step up. Um, the importance of Tredavious White to this defense is never going to be more felt than when Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer do leave. Because you have a guy in Tredavious White that when he is playing to his full potential, he is in the argument for one of the best corners in the league. And when you look at what's going to be changing in that defensive backfield, how could you rely on anybody more in the backfield than a guy like Tredavious White that you know when it's clicking, he's one of the best in the business. The thing I worry about, of course, is coming off of that injury, and I hope that we just get a fresh blank slate coming into this season because he's now had an entire other year off, and I think that's going to help. I really think that's going to help. I think he was just kind of thrown into it last year. That six-game sample size, to me, way too small, and I just don't think it's i don't think it's a good indicator as to what we can expect out of him off of this injury. He's now had an entire other year off. I'm looking forward to seeing what a like a blank slate Tradavius White looks like going into the start of this season off that injury. But you know, he is just going to be so important for this defense when we're looking at veteran presence, when we're looking at overall play and talent, when we're looking at the ability to make game-changing plays, that's Tradavius White and it's going to be more and more impactful and more noticeable when Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyde aren't around. That's why I have him so high up on this list. When those two guys are gone, him and the next guy that I'll mention at number three, they are they are the defense. They become the defense. They are the voice of the defense, the quarterback of the defense, the perhaps the most intimidating aspect of the defense, you could say. I mean, Tre'Davious White's a two. We're talking two-time All-Pro here. The guy is truly one of the best. I think we have forgotten. I think we have forgotten how great Tre'Davious White can be. How great he was. How great he still can be. You, I mean, this is that's the NFL. I said this on the on the on Joe's show. You know, the NFL. We are so conditioned to the next man up thing right because it's all it's every week someone's getting hurt and you're just like okay who's next right so you're so conditioned to that that when the guy you're not focusing on isn't playing you you do naturally just kind of forget about the presence of him and I think that with the bills having the success that they did without Tredavious White the success in the win column right I think that success kind of it it definitely enhanced the fan base kind of forgetting how impactful he really can be on this defense and how impactful he you know as far as overall conversation about corners is concerned how impactful he can be as far as making a mark at that position overall as being one of the better corners in the league that's what he was prior to the injury and with a new slate a fresh full other year off that injury to come back out and kick it off game one if Tredavious White can get back closer to that pre-injury ceiling undisputed one of the one of the most important players for this offense or for this this defense and these Buffalo Bills not even close because not only is he going to be one of the best players, but he's also going to be the, one of the more relied upon guys on this entire team. When the changes on the defense that are coming down the pipeline come to uh, come to be reality, yeah, I mean, like like you uh, like you said here, Rich. Time—it's true. I think I think that's what it was. You know, time was flying by when when and we were all excited, right? Bills were winning like crazy, Super Bowl favorites, right? Deep playoff run. When Tredavious White's not there, and I remember even feeling at times, and I, I've said it on the show before, too, uh, the, the absence of him never really felt, it never seemed like it impacted the team. Because they were just flying high on offense, and at that time, they also had Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyde healthy. It didn't seem as impactful. It'll be impactful, believe me. Like if he's not out on the field or if he's not at top level, you're gonna notice that if Jordan Poor and Micah Hyde aren't aren't out there. So all you can hope for is that Tredavious White gets back to what he used to be before I don't even want to say used to be. It's not like it was forever ago. It was not too long ago at all. If he can just get back to what we knew of him before the, you know, missing all this time then you feel much better about the hands the Bills defense are in moving forward. But to me, the guy that you rely upon the most on this defense, and in my opinion, the guy that no matter what changes today or tomorrow is the most impactful player on this entire defense. I think he is one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL. I think he is one of the best linebackers in the entire NFL, despite being probably one of the most unknown to the casual fan, I think Matt Milano at number three is beyond deserving. Because Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs are one and two. I mean, that's just the list. That, I mean, obviously. The list starts at three. The other two are penciled in. The list starts at three. Outside of Josh Allen and, and, and Stephon Diggs, to me, Matt Milano is the most important player on this entire team I think he is the best defensive player that this team has when he's playing at his best I think I I truly believe that I I I think that this you look at what he is when he's playing his best football and lately I mean he really (laughs) he has he's as good as any linebacker in this league And and I think finally, I I think finally last year, he got a nod from the public as as far as being recognized. He was named first team all pro last year. And I thought, I just felt like I was so stoked about that for him. Because it it just felt as though it was finally being realized. Because Matt Milano over the last couple of seasons has been phenomenal. But last year, it just finally felt like it became uh, common knowledge to some extent. I still think he's one of the more underrated players. Despite being an all-pro, it's not like you just walk up on... This, this is how I like to measure these types of things. I. It's not like you go up to anybody on the street who's a, who's a football fan and they know Matt Milano. You know, most of the time, all pros, like if you asked your grandma, if you gave your grandma the list of all pros, she'd probably know a good amount of them. Matt Milano wouldn't be one she'd know. And that's why I love him, because it doesn't matter. And it didn't matter before he was an all pro, and it won't matter afterwards. The guy is just an absolute lethal weapon. Absolute killer. The dude is the hardest-hitting player in the entire league. And he hits so hard that he has now gotten, the, he's almost gotten this... He's gotten this horse shit label about him that he's like dirty now. You ever see that? People think Matt Milano's dirty. I don't think he's dirty. Just because he cleans your clock doesn't mean he's dirty. The dude lays the hammer every time he hits the opposing player. It is nuts. Every I think there were like four or five hits last year from Matt Milano, and I'm talking. I watch every single NFL game every year, every weekend. There's not a single game I miss, not a single one, not just Bills, every game. Out of all of them, I think Matt Milano, bar none, compared to every other player on every other team, was, he he had the hardest hits I saw all year. It wasn't just because it was the Bills. The dude is, I, I, I would not, I'd probably, ra- I would rather get hit by a, a bus than get tackled by him at, at, at full, at full go. Yeah, I think he is a scary mother, mother effort, man. I really do. And with Tremaine Edmonds gone, it, this is it, it, not that it wasn't last year. He was still the quarterback, he was still the better linebacker, of course. But it's an even more important, it's even more important now to be at your best. You don't have Tremaine Edmonds now. That's a big loss in that part of the field, and it's more vital than ever now for Matt Milano to play yet again at an all-pro level. And then when you talk about what we've been talking about all night, the the, the differences that, that are going – I mean, and I haven't even referenced the fact the differences we're already facing. I just referenced the Tremaine Edmonds, and that's vital towards Matt Milano because it's his area of, of play. It's going to be the most impactful potentially on, you know, his role because he's now going to be expected to fill some of that gap that's gone even though he was already an all pro when he was here that's going to be an expectation but i haven't even referenced the fact that sean mcdermott i mean this is already extremely different sean mcdermott is the defensive coordinator now this defense is already crazy different right and it's only going to be more different But Matt Milano, he's the guy, when you think about the departures that could happen from this defense, he's the guy you look at and say, yeah, I mean, I just feel so much better about this defense because he's here, right? To me, he is just, I love everything about Matt Milano, man. He's one of those guys where you just say, I'm glad he's on my team. Because I could see him being a pain in the ass to any other fan base. Because I could see why you think he's dirty and stuff. I could see it. Because you don't like him because he's not on your team and he's just <laughs> putting your your you know, the team you're rooting for is players beneath the earth's crust. So I mean, yeah, this is like like what Bada Bing's saying here. I, I agree. Like half the time I see people bitching about Milano and they'll post a video on I'm like, dude, I mean That's like as clean of a hit as you'll see that we, I can't even blame people half the time anymore about this though, is because we it's, once again, it's another victim of, of the, of the conditioning the NFL has put us through where you're now expected to see. Like you can see the greatest form tackle of your life, but if it is like full on full speed off the edge, and you're hitting like Tua, for instance, a smaller guy or whatever, it doesn't matter how textbook it is, how clean it is, right? If you nail a guy as hard as you possibly can, you you just immediately assume it's dirty, and you are immediately looking for the flag, immediately. Even though every as- aspect about it was within the books legal, and it's just a gorgeous hit, you don't even think oh like that's the thing that sucks now too. I'm not talking about dirty hits and stuff because I mean obviously there there had to be a dramatic change for the sport to to be alive and and, and for it to grow the way it has and it, it had to happen. I like I I'm, I couldn't be more supportive of the changes in that department it had to happen because of the concussions and the injury rate. But what pisses me off is when you do get one of those phenomenal clean tackles and those get drug those get dragged through the mud like the dirty tackles just because of what it looked like and what the impact of that hit was on the player I'm almost positive did this not happen I, I know I said to as an example example I know I said to as an example was it didn't that happen isn't Tua the guy, Isn't didn't Matt Milano give Tua his first concussion? I think that the week before Tua got the concussion. The week before Tua got the concussion against the Bengals. I'm almost positive it was Matt Milano the week before. That gave him that one hit that everybody thought was the initial concussion. Because the reason I'm remembering this is, if my mind serves me right, this is that was one example where I was like, "Man, I just don't see. I don't see the dirtiness here. It's unfortunate. It results in injury, but just because a play results in injury doesn't necessarily mean it's a you know a dirty play. You know what? You're right though. Uh, Bills mafia." F U Q S. He's coming in here saying it was a push. Yeah, I'm thinking of a different play. Yeah, you're right. Now I now I can distinctly remember it. It was like he's like falling backward. Milano pushes him. I I, I there was a play though. Milano definitely hit somebody and they got hurt, and everybody thought it was dirty. But it wasn't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm mistaking it for Tua. I know it, but it was Milano who did hit Tua. It just wasn't like a hit hit. It was kind of like a I don't even know. I mean, that's the problem with, unfortunately, for Tua. He's just, he's a smaller dude, and, and you got Milano. He's, he breathes on you, and you're, you're going to go flying. Uh, I, I'm looking this up. It might have been a Bengals player. I can't remember. Oh, yes. Richie, spot on, baby. Yes. That is it. Yes. 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 Yes, it was Matt Milano. Oh, my God. Do you remember poor Mike White that game? I had so much respect for that guy. That dude got put through a meat grinder that game. I mean, I he must... It seemed like he broke his ribs like four different times and came back into the game on some Scott Sterling shit. It felt like that guy... Just when you thought he was dead, got back up for another snap. I was so, I had so much respect for him. But this one hit, I'm going to see if I can find it. Because it was brutal. And, and if I remember correctly, and I'm pulling it up here. And if I remember, it was damn clean. It was damn clean. And leave it to the Jets fans. Was, this is probably exactly what I was talking about. I'm almost positive the whole scenario is coming around here. Great job, Rich. Um, I'm almost positive I go on there and people are just like, oh, he's such a dirty player. And I'm like, dude, look pretty damn good to me. All right, this is it. Let me see if this is the one. Oh, yeah, that is it. I mean, this is, this is exactly... What I was just referring to like, look, it, it sucks. The poor guy got hurt and you know, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. Like that's no fun, but just because, I mean, watch this. Just because a guy gets hurt doesn't mean what led to the injury was dirty. It's unfortunate the outcome, but it, what the, the, the proceedings going into the injury, if they if it's not dirty, just because the guy got hurt it doesn't mean it was a cheap shot. This is the opposite of, the, of a cheap shot. Look at this. I mean, and you want to know what? And this, it, yeah, this is exactly what it is. This is exactly what happened. Everybody was saying he was a dirty player after this. This is Rich, you're the freaking man. I would have been hunting for that forever. This is how they teach you when you are nine. When did I first start playing tackle football? Nine years old, 10 years old. On your first day of practice on your first day of practice when you are like nine years old and you can barely I mean you can barely breathe because your helmet's on so damn tight and you can't get used to it and you got pads on for the first time and you can barely freaking walk right you got the damn girdle on you're like God this is the most uncomfortable shit that night coaches huddle around they teach you this right there this this is lesson number one. Because what's the first thing you learn in football as a player? Low man wins. Low man wins. And I played offensive line and defensive line my whole football career. How many times did I have to hear low man wins? Because it's the truth. And you were you were always taught to form tackle, right? Wrap up. Don't lead with your head. Don't lead with your shoulder. Actually grab the guy. I mean, this... Like, this is... This is the this is the tackle that you show at the clinic. This is the tackle that you show at the camp, the 7 on 7 camp. This is the ta- this is the tackle right here where you bring the linebackers and the defensive players in and you say, "This is how you should aim to hit a guy every single time you're out on the field." I mean, that is just a thing of beauty. I mean, poor Mike White but this is why I said earlier, I think I would rather get hit by a bus than Matt Milano in full form. Because as you can see, I mean, look at that angle. Jesus Christ. I mean, he, he eliminates him. He eliminates him. Look at this. Oh, my God. Watch how fast. Watch how fast his body goes from upward to the ground. I mean, we're talking milliseconds. Look at this. Boom. I mean, that is just, I mean, I forgot how incredible this hit was. I remember watching the, I think I was at my girlfriend's parents' house. We were watching it on the big screen, and I was watching it with her brother. And I think I remember us distinctly having a conversation about about how impressed we were that he got back in the game after this hit. We were talking about this hit for like 10 straight minutes. I mean, this this is one of the greatest hits I've ever seen. I, it's, truth be told, it, it does not get better than this. <laughs> this angle, this side angle is disgusting. I mean, he just disintegrates him. Oh, you imagine what Mike White's ribs were feeling like after that? I mean, that is the equivalent. I don't even know what the I don't even know what the equivalent of that is honestly. Once again though, that is why I said I'd rather get hit by a bus. Because I can't imagine getting hit by a bus hurts any less than that. You know? That was that was nuts. Oh, rich, that was great. I'm so glad you remember that. I haven't I haven't watched that hit in forever. Now it's like, look at. You go back you go back and look at the one, the hits that were incredible, but were also dirty. I mean, there's no better example than Nate Clements hitting Tom Brady. It's the greatest tackle in the history of the NFL, but it was an absolute. I mean, if he did that today, if he did that today, especially against Tom Brady, like say this was what I were last year. If Nate Clements hit Tom Brady the way he hit him in this video, he might have gotten kicked out of the league. I mean, that's that's what we're. T- I'm not even exaggerating. If you were to hit <laughs> like Tom Brady, I st- this video, this is an all-time sports video, like undisputed top ten. And in my opinion, and yes, it is one hundred percent like, should be banned from the game because you could die getting hit like this. But with that said, with the caveat of, you know, potential death, in my opinion, this is the greatest tackle in the history of the NFL. Um, but this is the difference between a tackle like, you know, Matt Milano just had and this. I mean, watch, this is just, I mean, it's just the greatest tackle. <laughs> I mean, the fact that it's freaking Brady too is just, is priceless. And also not for nothing, but that was during the AstroTurf days. I mean, that was like getting hit by a train and then landing on pavement. Oh, look at that. Look at this. Oh, and you know what? It is illegal, but he doesn't hit him in the helmet. And that's why there was no flag. Back then, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, you could do that. And the cry, The only thing you'd have to worry about was, was the guy getting up afterwards. You never had to worry about a flag or getting kicked out or a fine or a suspension. Yeah, no, bada bing, no question. You gotta give Brady all the credit in the world for getting up after that. Dude, I'd still be laying there if I got if I took that hit. That is truly one of, that is truly an all-time Bills moment. Oh, I mean, imagine what's going through Nate Clemens' minds. You get you mind, you get you get Tom Brady in the open field. I mean, how this has to be one of the fewest few times in his entire career that he was just a sitting duck in the middle of the field. I mean, that's just not Brady's game. You would never see him in the open field with a full head of steam and be able to take him out like that. And damn Nate Clemens. He took advantage of it. But there's one other one, but it's a bills player on the other end. It's Ryan. I think it's Ryan Lindell. No, you know, it's Mormon. It's Brian Mormon, Brian Mormon. got. I think who, It's uh, yeah, Sean Taylor. It is Sean Taylor. Yeah. This and just knowing that Brian Mormon, poor Brian Mormon, is just you know he's he's a scrawny punter man, and 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 you got Sean Taylor. I mean, who would who hits harder than ever than Sean Taylor? Look at this. I mean, dude. (laughs) Oh my dude. He got up. Look how quick Brian Mormon gets up after this. So on the initial hit, look at, I mean, you're thinking, look at, the way he's laying, you got to think death. You got to think Brian Mormon, like, start making arrangements. Brian Mormon's not going to make it. And then he, like, MJ Moon walks up. You want to talk about credit. Screw Brady. Brian Mormon, all the credit in the world. Brian Mormon probably weighs a buck 50 soaking wet sean taylor okay look at he he's so he he goes up and gives him a high five after it okay look at he hunts him down look at that Look at i've never seen that part brian mormon hunts him down to basically say dude congrats on just landing one of the most vicious hits of all time Although th- once again, this is the other thing though. This is back. To- this is almost more similar to the Matt Milano one. Like, let me th- let me take a closer look here. This looks legal to me. Eh, I don't know. He-, he might be leading with the head. I don't know. Either way though, say he doesn't make any contact. Oh, Here we. This is a better angle. <sighs> yeah, you know what? I. Mean, th- this is. But this is what happened. I- that might be legal. I don't know but i think i think you're going to get you're going to get hit with a with a flag on that no question now just because of the optics of it i mean that's a hit that you like the whole crowd makes a noise when that happens but what what is it what, what, what do you uh, what do you refer to it as now is is, is it charging do they is, it, is that a call or am i making that up I'm making that up. Wait, why? I'm googling. It. There's some There's like a name for it, right? Where you, where you like have too much, you have too much momentum. Why am I blanking on this? I, I'm like, feel like I'm such an idiot right now. Why am I blanking on this? Somebody help me out here. I can't find what I'm looking for. I I think there's a, there's something, there's a flag if you have, like, if you have too much momentum or whatever. Is it? Yes. Yes. You guys are saving me in the chat tonight. Targeting. Yes. Yes. That has to be targeting. Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor. I had Brian Mormon down from the opposite end zone. And took him out 50 yards down the field. Yes. Thank you. Targeting. It has to be. Oh, my God. That hit holy hell that was awesome and then of course to round out the list so Matt Milano was there at three um and then to round out the list yes Stefan Diggs Josh Allen one and two respectively um that goes without saying that kind of just speaks for itself and there would really be nothing I could tell you that would make you you know I'm not gonna have to sit here and argue it to you they're one and two um you just hope Stephon Diggs stays in that too for the longest amount of time possible. That's all you ask for. Because we've done this a couple of years now, and it's been one and two, obviously, nice and easy. But it, all you can hope for is that that just maintains. Now, Josh Allen will be number one on this list until he, you know, literally forever. Be interesting to see how the two interchanges over time. that That is actually more interesting than you think. Because for the next 15 years, or at least you'd hope, Josh Allen will be number one on that list. So it's like, who interchanges on that two spot, right? When Stephon Diggs is no longer, you know, locked into that. What's the spud saying here? He's saying, look up Antonio Brown Huber hit. I will end on this. One more hit to round out the smoke break. I did not expect to get into a hard hit compilation tonight, but I love it. I haven't done this. One. I haven't looked at these in a while, man. All right, here we go. This is the worst on YouTube when they don't give you the skip ad option after five seconds. It's, it's like, why are you? And this is the other thing I don't understand about advertisements. I'm using Google Chrome right now. Why are you advertising to me? There's nothing more you can get out of me. I'm using it. This isn't it, is it? I know what you're talking about where he like jumps up and and like doesn't he like kick a guy? <laughs> Kicks man. Okay, maybe this is it. And remember how good AB was. Yeah, this is it. This is it. Here it comes. <laughs> That's so legendary. <laughs> Flag immediately. <laughs> Couldn't you see Josh Allen doing this? Oh my god, dude! It's it's like a five yard leap too with the with the leg already out. Oh. Oh, that had to kill. Oh, what a way to end it. A.B. putting his foot through the chest of the Cleveland Browns kicker. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, all right. Two hours in the books. Fun one. Nice chat tonight. Doing a little roundup on that list. And a little deeper dive on it. Do yourself a favor, though. That list, uh, the consensus list with all the guys that did it alongside myself with Joe Marino awesome watch some of the smartest guys out there some of the nicest and funnest guys as well in the bills community so a great watch if you haven't over on lockdown bills uh joe marino's page definitely check it out if uh if you haven't uh next week we're back at it monday night right here on the smoke break and i'm thinking next week i had an idea to do this for a bit now so i think we might do it next week i'm thinking next week we go through and we predict Every single game for the entire NFL season. So I'm thinking we go through week one through week 18, predict every single game, not just the bills, but all of them and do a way too early breakdown of what we see the records being like for all 32 teams. So strap in for that. It might be a long one, but until then enjoy the rest of your week, folks so much i appreciate it actually not so much i appreciate it so much you joining me tonight and hopefully i see you again next week but until then enjoy the rest of your week everybody and as always go bills